Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHK as I'm known, and we watched several things this week, starting with Lula Rich, which is a new docu-series on Amazon Prime. It's about Lula Rowe, which is an MLM. We also watched The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is a biopic about Tammy Faye Baker, starring Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield. And then finally, we watched the Emmys this week. So spoiler alert for all of those things. And then I'm gonna do something a little bit different this week, because just in case you have not watched Lula Rich yet, we don't go too much actually into some of the details. We are sort of assuming you've seen it, but if you haven't, I think the conversation is still relevant. And here's what we do want you to know beforehand. So what is an MLM, first of all? It's a multi-level marketing scheme, essentially. Sometimes they're known as network marketing or direct sales or party plan companies. You have probably encountered one at some point in your life. Amway, Mary Kay, LuLaRoe, the you know leggings company in question, uh, Stella and Dot, all of these things are multi-level marketing options opportunities. They are basically pyramid schemes, although technically speaking, a pyramid scheme is illegal. And the supposed difference is that in a pyramid scheme, there's no real product sold. So something like LuLaRoe, which is selling leggings, is this is how they get out of being qualified as a pyramid scheme. However, the problem is with an MLM is that usually they function on two factors. It's commissions from sales. And then you also get commissions from signing people up to the company. And those people are referred to as your downline. So let's say you sign a bunch of people up to this company, you are probably going to make a tiny bit of profit off of selling the leggings, but you're going to make a lot more profit off of the fees and all of the things that get attributed to, you know, you onboarding them. And so really there's more incentive to just keep signing people up to the company as opposed to actually selling the things. And thus you get that sort of pyramid structure because whoever started it, you know, they get 10 people under them and those people get 10 people under them and so on and so forth, creating that pyramid economy. And the problem with an MLM is that most of them, if not all, I think, require you to purchase a training or a startup kit as well as your own inventory to sell up front, which is a huge risk, right? Because we'll say this later in the episode, but if somebody is asking you to pay them to work for them, that's a scam essentially, right? You should not be having to pay to work for someone else. I feel like a lot of people don't have access to that information and that is partially how they get sucked in. And so we don't want to judge the people who didn't have that available to them because they are shiny opportunities. They do get sort of elevated to this level of, oh, you know, here's a way to get rich and also take care of your families. And we'll talk about some of the economic reasons that these groups target women. And and it's just, we get more into that discussion. But anyway, the reasons that multi-level marketing schemes are bad generally, speaking is because the majority of your profits don't come from actual sales of goods. They come from signing people up. And then the FTC found that about 99% of participants actually lose money when they join them. So they're exploiting your hard work and you end up possibly in financial danger. And that is why an MLM is dangerous. Please don't pay money to work for someone else. And if you have participated in one, no judgment because these are designed to appeal to human nature and to suck you in. Like that is how they prey upon people. Anyway, so spoiler alert for everything we watched. And then there's a couple of follow-up points after the main discussion. And without further ado, here's we're watching what? All right. We watched Lula Rich. I want to know what you two thought. Well, I have a confession to make. So I, true to my white woman roots, was into Lula Row for a while. Into it now, as a seller or into it as a purchaser? As a purchaser. So okay, I, I never- a million questions for you. Please continue. Yeah. So actually was so into it, I would actually buy unicorns and resell them on eBay. But I never had like a downline, uh, a desire to buy it because I'm not an idiot. So <laughs> no offense to people who yeah, sell let's, LuLaRoe. Let's not judge. I don't want to be like a total yeah. jerk. But my dad has always told me that you do not pay to get a job ever. 
So you never pay to work for someone. Um, if they want you to sell their things, they will let you sell their things. You don't have to buy them from them. So I always knew that I was like, oh, no, you don't buy your own inventory. That's just not something I want to get into, right? Yeah. I, I get why people would think that it was legit and all that stuff, obviously. But, yes, I actually – you have definitely seen me in LuLaRue leggings. I am obsessed with them to this day. They're soft and comfortable and amazing. I have literally – well, I don't even want to talk about how many pairs I bought, but I have definitely at least 14 pairs of black LuLaRoe leggings. Fascinating. And I have a ton. Well, I got rid of a bunch of them because I didn't wear them a lot, but all the different patterns and stuff, I had a lot of leggings. Like I got very intensely into purchasing them for a while. Were you buying them from people you knew or were you just hunting for patterns and so you would buy from anybody who had the one that you were interested in? I would buy from anyone. I didn't actually know anyone personally who, well, interestingly, Matt's friend Cyan is sort of the gateway drug I had into understanding what LuLaRoe was, but also my friend Kenneth's wife, Malia, said, oh, these leggings are amazing. You should feel them. And I felt them one time at a party and I was like, well, those are amazing. And so I like found Facebook groups for LuLaRoe. And then found patterns I liked and bought them and bought them. And I actually am friends with Instagram friends with a seller. <gasps> I just, I have. I'm I don't so know sure. if she still sells, to be honest. She doesn't post about it, so maybe not. I'm not really uh-huh. sure. Huh. Yeah, my very, very good friend from back in high school, she loved, I don't know if she still does or not, but she was all in buying, 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 buying. She never became a seller. Uh-huh. But her, she had a friend who was slash is I'm not really sure a seller okay and I know the way the network would work a lot of the time is that my friend would look and say oh I really want this or that like I guess the unicorn or or whatever it is or there's just one that's not necessarily a unicorn but it's just a a pattern that you want and since the sellers cannot pick their inventory right sometimes her friend would not get what she wants but there's a network of sellers and they'd be like posting about okay here and I, I've got this I've got that available like things and then she, her friend would be able to go get her in touch with another seller and say oh my friend wants that you know so she would be able to get what she wanted usually but she got her sister pretty into it and then my other really close friend I think her sister started selling for a while I don't think she kept up with it but I think she she got into it for a second and then backed out I mean I okay none of us can cast stones about collecting things because we are all collectors be they leggings be they toys oh, yeah. be they figures so like absolutely there wow I had no idea. I mean, I, you know, and the thing is, is I am so susceptible to that type of marketing. The whole thing where you have to search for the unicorn. Right. Like that is my jam. Okay. You can't tell me I can't have it. Well, sure. I mean, it's the Chase Funko, right? For me, it's the whatever it is. It's the it's the exclusive. Right. It's the I thing. Am, it was the, the rose gold Mickey ears at, at yes, Disneyland, for I, God's sake. It's I mean, the I tired am, beanie baby. Yeah. Well, oh, you know, yeah. the, what is that called? There's a term for it where you have less inventory on purpose to uh, entice people to buy it, right? Yeah, you create like, the demand. Um, right. Yeah, I, I forget what it's called. But basically, I am always a sucker for that. Okay. There is never a time in which I do not fall for that marketing play, even though I know it's happening. And then I'm going to assume that you never received a pair of the stinky leggings. <laughs> I did receive a pair that had a hole in them. I was kind of getting over it, just like most of my obsessions. You know, I get really into it. Then I get mm-hmm. a lot of things that I like, and then it drops off. 
Right. Okay. I had no idea. And now I'm, yeah. And I also started to feel really guilty because I, I read this article about how these sort of marketing schemes disproportionately affect women um, yes. and families and how it kind of preys on female friendship. Yes. And so I started to feel guilty about that, understanding sort of the roots of it and not wanting to sort of participate in the monetization of female friendship. Right. And I I want to make it very clear also because people have been uh, bombing, review bombing things that come after Lula, because I think a lot of people are watching Lula Rich right now. And, you know, there's a there's a mobilized audience for Lula Rowe in particular. And that is why, you know, it exists and it was successful, right? Is that they are good at networking. They are good at Instagramming. They are good at monetizing their their friendships, as you said. I don't blame anybody who got sort of sucked into it as a seller because I've been reading this book called Invisible Women Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. And it's mm. so fur- infuriating because it talks about, you know, unpaid labor, right? And how just society as a whole is not designed for women. And the one thing I don't love about this book is that it only refers to the gender binary. It's like women and men. It's like, mm, there's mm. a spectrum in between. But for the purposes of this, we'll acknowledge that women, and that's in air quotes, uh, you know, it's it's disproportionately, w- work falls disproportionately to them. So of course, if you are in a job or if you are in a position where society has made it harder for you to earn money, even if you are in a corporate job, right, you're probably making 80 cents on the dollar if you're lucky to what a man makes. And then you're expected to do all the childcare stuff or the house care or housework. And and there's a chapter in this book, this is a slight tangent, but it talks about how public transit is not designed for women. It's designed around get to job and get back. And it doesn't take into account the fact that a lot of women have to do things like grocery shop and you know take children to childcare. And so public transit isn't optimized for that, even though women more often than not rely on public transit to do these things because the man gets the car if it's a single car household. Anyway, the point is, on this diatribe, that, yeah, of course, if someone comes to you and says, hey, here's something that you can do from home to side hustle and help pay for things. You can take care of your kids. You can do all this unpaid labor. You know, there's so much success in it. Of course, at that point, you're going to try it out more likely than not because you've seen it be successful for some people. And just as a whole, you are not put, you are not born into a position to, you know, necessarily succeed in such a way. So of course you're going to do this type of thing. Like I feel very privileged that I've never had to resort to something like an MLM, but like I, I get upset on behalf of the people who do. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. And we're back. Agreed. It definitely preys on a certain person. And what's interesting about the Lula Rich documentary that I found was that the owners or, you know, the, the, the CEO, I don't know, she, she kept being like, it was so funny to me that she couldn't remember a single detail when she was being questioned about yeah. anything um, in an official capacity. Right. She was like, I don't know. I don't remember. And you can tell she's a smart, capable woman. And so that right. was interesting is that she wanted to fall kind of back on the trope of her husband sort of taking mm-hmm. over the business and her having no idea what that incentive program meant or, you know, whatever the question I'm just a lady, was. yeah. Well, even the son was doing that. It's like they don't want the blame and they're not going to admit to things yes. that are going to seem right. In a deposition, they're I not going to say yeah. design. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just very interesting at that point. But anyway, I'm not going to say that – I guess I did kind of fall for some of, their, some of her stuff. And I do actually believe that she was a hustler who wanted other women to be able to hustle like she did for her family. At least at first. 
Yeah, yeah. So I this is I think this is the most deep diving I've ever done prior to us actually recording because I I'm kind of obsessed with MLMs and I just went oh. down a, a, a rabbit hole of their background and I didn't dive as deep as I could have and I you know I actually had hoped for this documentary as a whole they would have gone even deeper but I feel like they were holding back because they had access to the founders and they were like we don't want to scare them away with our interview questions because you know you know they would have ripped that mic pack and walked away in a heartbeat. So they kind of, you know, catered to them or like treated them with kid gloves. But there's a whole tie between what they are doing and, you know, their Mormons and the whole uh, prosperity gospel, which we'll talk about when we talk about Tammy Faye and just all this stuff where part of me is like, yeah, you, you want other people to succeed, but you want it to succeed disproportionately to them. And then I think there's a whole like race issue there and classism obviously and and a bunch of other stuff i mean the best line of the entire documentary was the black woman who used to work in customer uh service i guess who also sold and was like no i did get a place on the one of the cruises but i didn't want to be on a ship full of white women yeah i loved that i was like you're right lady good choice do we feel that the documentary went deep enough or do we think it was informative enough for people who aren't deep diving into the world of MLMs? I think it gave an effective overlook on how an MLM functions, at least this one, and mm-hmm. how a lot of them are modeled. I, I I was entertained by the docuseries, but I also didn't think it was that great. Mm-hmm. I think it could have gone deeper, but also, I got to be honest with you, like I am a little maybe I'm just less familiar with all the MLMs and like the way they all work in the way, but I'm a little less critical of the structure at first. And then it's like, when it gets very culty, then it gets a little like, oh, okay. And you start seeing deeper in, but the first two episodes I was entertained, but I was also kind of like, I'm not really seeing the issue yet. Well, right. I could see where it was coming, but it was just so, when is this getting interesting in a way where it's like, oh, they are such bad people. And it was when the weight loss stuff came in and that different kinds of the surgeries and all that kind of stuff. Where I started seeing more, okay, cool. But I will say the filmmakers got a very specific group of women to talk about their stories the entire time for the most mm-hmm. of them. And a lot of them didn't end up saying the same situations that the other ones were saying, which I think was by design for it to flow in a way that's interesting. Yeah. But it also kind of illustrated it in a way that I was like, well, this is a problem you faced. Mm-hmm. And it means it exists, but it doesn't mean it's a widespread problem throughout the company. Like it didn't fully convince me that the company was the devil. Mm-hmm. I believe it is in ways, but you know what I'm saying? Where yeah. it wasn't like all of them were all talking about, well, this happened to me and this happened to me. And it's like the same thing. And you see, okay, they targeted these women to do this, this, and this, you know, and like the weight loss thing was very specifically one of them talking. And then it might've happened to the other ones, but they didn't bring it up. Right. And so it just kind of felt like, okay, there were 18 women they were talking about who went through with doing it, but out of the hundreds and thousands of people that are working for this company. It's not to say that 18 is okay, but I just mean, you know what I mean? Like I was, I was looking for it to get into that deep kind of, Oh shit, you know? And I don't feel like it really got there. I feel like in order to get the creators, I guess, of the company on, they had to probably have approval Mm. of the docuseries because I thought the first two episodes, just like, um, just like you were just saying, were fairly boring and benign. And I was kind of like, okay, well, this isn't showing me anything I didn't know already, right? Like, I was interested enough, obviously, to keep going. I, But I think that they had to, I, I guess I'm assuming that they gave them rights to 
you know, veto things in the documentary. I would be shocked if they did that because I feel like to me, they more just, they more positioned it as this is an unbiased look at what went on and that they are vapid enough to think that the the public will see. Because if they gave them permission to veto anything, I mean, you're talking about- This wouldn't have come out, yeah. Yeah, and like like they wouldn't, it it just couldn't have. And like the people that are talking and that they wanted to silence that are here talking freely, it's, you know, it's just, I think it was probably positioned like we're doing an, an unbiased look at the thing and you can either be a part of it or not, but we're doing it. Well, so I think like, it was, well, I guess we should be a part of it. <laughs> no, I bet you it was positioned to them as, hey, you get to tell your side of the story. And I do think, I'd imagine that they got approval over the questions they were asked. And I think that goes back to my being like, oh, they they kind of treated them with kid gloves. Because again, if you were to ask any of the hard hitting questions, just come on, did you know? They're going to be like, play the fifth piece out. And it yeah. becomes, a, you know, it's over immediately. So I assume, yes, there was a, a layer of filtering there. But as you said, the the people that they chose, I thought it could have been two episodes maybe three like it could have been yeah. one two-hour movie or I this is know. a film yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, in that sense it was dragged out much more than it should have been but they did find some interesting people like the mm-hmm. guy god what is he he's the guy who speaks in klingon at one point i can't remember oh, what he yeah. oh yeah he the was guy doing who... like there's the email the it kind of the, yeah. Yeah. The IT yeah. Guy who basically yeah. didn't know what he was doing i mean that that's just a gem of a character as, as a whole but I feel like they just sort of inserted him in there because they're like, this guy's going to speak in Klingon at some point or something like that, right? Like, does he need to be there as much as he was? Uh, yeah, you know. I was laughing at him because the way that he, he was similar to most of the people that had worked for them, whether it be partners that were selling or whether it be people at corporate, when they'd be explaining how they found this job and blah, blah, blah. And it was done in such a way that was this impending doom kind of like, and he's like, well, not so I went to Craigslist and, you know, cause my dad told me I would need a job that would start paying the bills and blah, blah, blah. Or, you yeah. know, I can't coach, or whatever. Or I can't referee yeah. girls volleyball. He's giving, this like, whole, <laughs> he's giving this whole explanation about why he did this. And it was like, as if it seemed fishy. He's like, and then I, so I looked on Craigslist and I was like, okay, weirdo. And then he's like scrolling through, which I've done that by the way, but scrolling through. And then I found this and I thought, well, that seems okay. Like something I could do. And he's like giving the whole account. Revelatory, a job searching. He has to give us this really big account of why he would ever do this. It's a corporate job. Yeah, you needed money. Why would anyone assume it was bad? No one (laughs) would assume it was bad. You just show up, you know? Yeah, I... I, I know that some of my enjoyment of it is through the blinders of, you know, enjoying following stories about MLMs, because I'm sure both of you have been hit up by people, you know, in your lives. And I always feel bad, but I'm like, no, this is, which is why it's really interesting to me that you like the leggings, because normally I would, you know, most of the ones that I, things I've been presented with that are from MLMs, I'm like, this is not good quality for what you are paying for it, for what I, you know. I do think that is part of the reason why it was so successful was that Mm -hmm. the merchandise was actually flattering and comfortable because they had styles that moms and, you know, women who weren't 25 and skinny can wear easily. Mm -hmm. And I think really inclusive sizing, super inclusive sizing. And so Mm -hmm. I think that that was a big part of it. It made these women who didn't necessarily have time to shop and don't get a lot of ads directed at them. Mm-hmm. right? Comfortable and happy. And I think that that was a huge part of it. I guess the the question for me in a scenario like that becomes, why not just sell it as a retail item, you know, to the business owners, not to the people who get involved? I mean, now I wish they had because I really like the leggings. <laughs> and as soon as these all die, which because I bought them all at the same time and I wear them regularly, mm-hmm. you know, they will die and I will have to find another set of 
type of leggings that I actually like uh, again because now I can't support them clearly. Yeah. So I, I, I wish they would just sell them, you know, like normal. Yeah. I like them. It's it's too late now though. They've they've gone too far down that that pathway yeah. of. Okay. Would you recommend the docu series? Not necessarily the liking. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, if you if you're at all interested, sure. I do think it's slow at the beginning. There is things I didn't know that happen a little bit later, but it is not necessarily a, a great deep dive or anything like that. But it's entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I was entertained the whole time, even though I would have cut it in half. But I do think. If you have interest in the topic, I think it's totally worth the watch. I'm not sure that it's something I'm like texting my mom being like, you got to watch this doc. because She's not going to care at all. Mm-hmm. You, right. you know, it's like, whereas we've talked before about a really, really great doc, the subject matter isn't nearly as important as the structure of it. And I feel right. like this relied mostly on the subject matter being somewhat interesting. Well, and also it's so funny because... They have super bizarro characters. Aside from that guy, you know, the founders themselves are caricatures of human beings. And also just their story in general when, you know, in the first few minutes, they're like, like, our our son and our daughter. And and we should be clear, like they're, you know, not blood related. Yeah. But, you know, these people are married. It's like, oh, boy, this is. This, these are some. Yeah, it's an interesting. interesting That that guy who was like in charge of DJing. Oh, their professional party planner? Yeah, their professional party planner. Who's, who's a nephew or something along those lines or some some blood relation? Well, and as far as starting a business goes, I, I would say as well that who knows how much of the origins of it are actually true since it's all coming from the owner's mouths. Mm-hmm. But it is a kind of interesting story about how in the world they were able to do this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, again, because I was deep diving, I was reading an interview with someone who, her name is Meg Conley. I'm not super familiar with her, but I think she has a, she has a blog called Home, or a website called Home Culture. Mm-hmm. And she, she was also raised in, I believe, the Mormon church. And she had met the woman when they were, she was a kid. You know, she was a child and I want, I'm going to assume her mother, you know, was in that social, either, either way. So she had seen her sell leggings or not leggings dresses right because she starts selling dresses but they were it wasn't as glamorous as she said she just went to you know some sort of flea market thing and would buy dresses and the reason you know it was not as divine a calling as mm-hmm. positioned in this docu series and so i i get the sense that there's a lot of stuff missing from it but i do think if you don't understand what an mlm is this does sort of help you gain an understanding of it yeah. And, and how it can negatively impact people. And, and especially with something like LuLaRoe, which did really put the sellers in a, a tough position because the quality of the things fell apart. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it and it it provides a they, they call out some other MLMs that are very popular that I've seen. And I, I have people on my social medias who sell from these, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so it kind of calls them out and it kind of. Uh, you know, if you're interested at all, it, it makes you kind of aware, like, oh, wow, I, I see people talk about that. And I realize, oh, that's like this. Like, yeah, essentially. <laughs> so, Yeah. And I, I did see a, a very valid criticism in that this, you know, this is choosing to focus on a very white centric story. Right. And a lot of the MLMs prey on communities of color because mm-hmm. those are people even more grossly impacted by, you know, pay gaps and mm-hmm. all these things. I think these things have turned me into an aggressive socialist where I'm like universal basic income. <laughs> Like, make it so nobody has to sell leggings or supplements or whatever it is ever again. Give us healthcare and basic income. Yeah, I mean, already there, and, but yeah, yeah, that, that's true. It's not 
this is not the, the tipping point for me, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Moving on to a, a similarly related thing, but but not because they were, didn't even have anything physical to sell. They were just selling salvation. The eyes of Tammy Faye. What did uh, what did you two think? I thought it was pretty good, but I thought it was kind of fell into a similar trap that I do feel like most of these kind of biopics mm-hmm. do in a way where structured in a way where, okay, here's interesting something that happens. And then here's a bunch of exposition that's passing over time. And then here's something else interesting that kind of happened and then more exposition. And it, and it kind of just is this wave the whole time mm-hmm. that by the time we were toward the end of it, I was thinking I could have quit 20 minutes out of this and thinking like, is this almost over? Cause like, how are you, where are you going to end this? Yeah. And I thought it wrapped up nicely and I thought it did a good job. It, it as a whole feels cohesive. It just is not something I feel like I want to run back and watch really quickly again, but the performances were great. Okay. Jackie. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I do think it was bloated in a lot of places, but I had, a decent time watching it. I thought I thought Jessica Chastain did a really great job. I think maybe I was just annoyed by her, the character, actual Tammy Faye. So I was like, stop being so chipper. I know. <laughs> it's just really grated on me. This is another one where I wanted them to treat them with less kid gloves, where I wanted it to be more apparent that they, I feel like halfway through, I was thinking, where is the crime? Why, where, where is the troublemaking? What have, where is the wrongness here? Because they just were setting them up as these paragons of, I don't know, Christianity, I guess. And then, and then suddenly I would say two thirds of the way or late too late for me, it suddenly made it seem like shady dealings on dealings were happening. And I was just like, Ugh, I mean, okay, I guess. And maybe just because yeah, I, I want the crime part of it more. <laughs> well, and I will say I'm not, I'm aware of them and I was aware that this had happened, but very surface level. Mm-hmm. So I'm not fully, fully invested in who she really was as a person and everything outside of this film, honestly. And I do think that whether warranted or not, the agenda of the film felt very much making sure we knew Tammy herself was actually a, quite a, a really good person. Yeah. And I don't know yeah. if she really was or not. But <laughs> I think it's just like I only know them sort of tangentially. Because I think we were all too young, really, yeah. to have seen them. Do right, I've heard TV. about them, and I know that this like happened. I knew of her and her eyelashes, basically. Well, I knew very little more than that. She was made fun of on SNL or something one time when I watched, you know. But other than that, I don't know that I knew much more. So I realized, I figured out where I first was exposed to her, and it was on The Surreal Life. Because she was on a very early season of that with, I want to say, Vanilla Ice. I think she was on the first season of The Surreal Life. And obviously, The Surreal Life is already uh, people who have passed their cultural relevance. But for me especially, I was like, I don't know who this lady is, but she's wearing a lot of makeup. And it's also very sad to, I was looking up her life and, you know, she was dealing with really aggressive cancer towards the end. And the fact that she did The Surreal Life during that is it's impressive but uh yeah so i knew her as this caricature and obviously she's already a caricature but you know anyone who goes on that v- those vh1 shows at that point and especially the way that one was positioned is like the washed up of the washed up that's where i sort of knew her from but i didn't completely remember until i reread it and i was like oh okay that is and then i you know knew her as the heavily makeup lady and and a name that comes up in pop culture every once in a while or like as a crossword clue or something mm-hmm and so I don't have any particular affinity for her. I don't 
Me you neither. Know. But they did really go out of their way to be like, her husband was a bad person who hung out with bad people, but Tammy was a good Christian. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I just the the, the and I just it felt yeah. like redeeming someone I'm not sure needed redemption. I don't know. It just yep, yep. it gave me that vibe. And then also we talked a little bit about not to I love Jessica. I think I think we all like Jessica and I think she's fantastic. But and I thought there were scenes in this where I was just like, okay, you might as well just hand the Oscar to her. I'm sure that at least she's nominated. And it felt a little like a film in that way that biopics often mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. But yeah. kind of like we talked about a marriage story where it was like Okay, so you're making this because you want an award out of it. Yeah. It's like, all right. Or several awards. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, yeah. The thing like this is it's a very niche film, and, and you make it because you know you're not going for box office dollars, you're going for awards dollars, whatever, right. you know, or prestige, I guess. Which is, again, it's fine, but I just, I don't know, something about it. I was excited for it, but it just did not gel for me. And I think it's because it scratched the surface so much on so many different things. And, and in its attempt to sort of, you know, turn her into a saint, it it did not show her as, I, I don't know, I just didn't feel it was a compelling enough. Yeah, I, I did like it. I will say that just, I watched it today, actually. Um, <laughs> I played hooky. Sorry, people. <laughs> but I don't feel the need to watch it again. You know, I'm not, you know, when you watch an amazing film, and all you want to do is just start it over again, or at least that's how mm-hmm. I feel. Like, I just want the projector to start again, and I want to still be sitting there and walk, go over everything. Yeah. I don't really feel that way about it. So Yeah, that's fair. I think I got more – the itch got scratched more for me reading the Wikipedia article on her than – actually doing it and I, I get it. I, I because I'm in this vortex of prosperity gospel and how it ties to LuLaRoe and all that stuff I was like oh it's an interesting mix between the two but I don't know if the source materials themselves are as interesting as like the resulting conversation which could potentially be had without seeing either of the actual things you could just read two articles and be like I understand where the how how you know people who preach are are easily transferable into people who sell leggings because you're selling a lifestyle you're selling whatever like you know, and then you're being told that this prosperity gospel is like God favors the those who um, have material wealth. <laughs> so like you're doing good either way. Yeah. yeah. Like everything, I think that the truth lies somewhere in the middle, right? She probably, yeah. she's not a saint, but she definitely probably wasn't a terrible villain either. Yeah. And I think because since they chose, I mean, obviously it's a big, big portion of her life and a huge part of her legacy, whether it's good or bad. I think it focused so much on her relationship with her husband while this mm-hmm. was happening without showing us exactly what was happening because she supposedly wasn't all that aware of it all yeah. as it's happening, but we can see, okay, well, Chris, what's going on. But I, I will say when it comes to her character and her as a human, I actually was finding, I thought Cherry Jones played her mom. I thought she did a really good job and I was actually finding the subtle evolution of her mom's character and relationship with Tammy Mm-hmm. I kind of found that thread more interesting than the rest of it, to be honest. And yeah, Cherry Jones was my favorite it. character in the. Yeah. she was she was my. And she was straight voice. and straight <laughs> and narrow, and she was she was she was like, "This doesn't seem right. You shouldn't profit off this." But then she did kind of fall into it as well, and they did that with the coat stuff, but where she kind yeah. of was turning a blind eye. But I and that then it showed her. Yeah, mm-hmm. it showed her like losing her home, and then we just never saw her again or heard from her. And I was like, "Well, what happened to her?" And then I also thought it was really weird that they had kids and we saw the daughter one time and then never heard a thing about them again (laughs) until the end when it said that they seeing like their mom. But it was like, well, where were they this whole time? Like, what were they doing when 
house yeah. went got went off and he went to jail and she's living right. in a little apartment. Where are your children? Right. They weren't well, that old I, at the time. Something that was missing for me is if you're going to paint her as this sort of saintly character in some senses, one of her biggest, the one of the biggest things she is known for is her acceptance of the queer community before that was a thing to do. And they do show a moment of that. But then she did a lot more, I think, is my understanding. And and that also had to do with her sort of, I don't know if she's exactly quoted this, but something along the lines of like when she was down after all this went down, like that is the community who raised her back up and she's participated in prides and all these things. And there is a documentary called The Eyes of Tammy Faye that is narrated by RuPaul and it is produced by World of Wonder. Oh. And that is, yeah. And, and you know, they're best known for Drag Race. And I think that Jessica Chastain actually approached the directors of it and they discussed you know all this stuff I assume also just because they called it the same thing and therefore there has to be a discussion there but they just had that scene that was important it was pegged as important but they just sort of don't follow up on that right it's it's that getting to sing for the church again at the end is her salvation and all that stuff it's like well no if her public being seen in the public eye is because of the queer community like why can't you talk about that part of it later why does it have to be going back to church for her is the way to to you know be seen again I, I don't know it just didn't that's seem... always so disappointing when you read an article after like a biopic and it has more interesting information in it than the right. movie did that's what that's what I was saying I was like I'm interested in both these topics separately but I don't know if the actual movie and the actual docuseries are the things that were going to be the most interesting but if you don't have another way into it like yeah I, I get it that some people don't want to go on an internet vortex for a couple hours and would rather watch a film about it right one thing I found interesting, and I'm curious to know your thoughts about makeup, but, <laughs> well, you know, obviously, you know. Yeah. But, it's always something, this is part of the reason why I had to watch it, because I had to see what the makeup yes. design looked like. You want oh, me yeah, to just, but, yeah, what was it, were you going to say? But I was <laughs> interested in the, back in the, when she first meets him, after mm-hmm. that class and everything, and she's sitting there, and they're out there, whatever. She looks, and not to say that you can't look attractive, if you do whatever you want to, whatever. But she looks pretty conventionally attractive there. And her eyelashes, I know she's younger and all this, whatever, and they did anti-aging on whatever. But her eyelashes in there look like really, to me, well done. And like the, the makeup on them is not clumpy. Everything looks great. And I was like, this is supposed to be like further back in time when I feel like that was even harder to accomplish than it's supposed to be when she's doing it more present day and she can't manage to get anything beyond what we call tarantula eyelashes or whatever tarantula yeah. legs or as my aunt used to call them anyway <laughs> it's weird I was like this is yeah. weird I, I thought it was interesting that they didn't choose to have her sort of always have the persona of someone who wore too much makeup because the thing is is that something that someone learns at 13 I can guarantee that if we could find pictures of Tammy Faye when she was 13 she was wearing too much mascara like there's no way that I, no, I could see well, it being something that she discovered. She was kind of young, actually. Well, she was in the church. So she probably, okay, so it was probably college when she discovered makeup. So maybe this is supposed to be her without makeup. What do you mean? Like her. when she meets them. Well, my, my assumption was, I do I do get the sense that the movie was trying to portray this some, semi-accurately in that, like, once she's married, you know, all bets are off. She doesn't have to worry about being perceived as whatever, because she's a married lady. Yay. You know, all things are forgiven. And that's when she starts piling it on. And also, if you look up photos of her, she has tarantula lashes. They were much more generous to her. Than- they were very generous to her. <laughs> they were they very, very generous to her, which is which is fine. That's fine of them. Yeah. I, so I didn't. I have it up. Uh, the it is based on the documentary about her, and the thing I saw that, that she that said. Beginning. 
Yeah, the thing that she said about, yeah, so she, what she said about in her last interview with, I guess it was in her last interview with Larry King, she said, when I went, when we lost everything, it was the gay people that came to my rescue, and I will always love them for that, <laughs> you know, uh, could have been phrased better, but at the time, yeah, so that, that part was just missing for me, and and if they're, you know, if her legacy as a gay, is as a gay icon, are we not leaning into that? Like, I and I think the fact that it was made by a straight white man probably played into that. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. Likely. <laughs> Did you know that there have been two? Mu- there are two musicals in the works about her. Wow. One of which by uh, mu- with music by Sir Elton John. What? Well, that will be a definitely gayer version. Yes. Yes. Bring me Kristen the gay Chenoweth. version. Into yeah, it. Kristen Chenoweth was suppo- wanted to play her. And then, as of relatively recently in the news, actually, uh, James Graham is writing the book for a new musical and with music by Elton John and lyrics by Jake Shears. So, Tammy Faye will continue Jake to live Shears? on. Jake Shears? Wow. <laughs> Tammy Faye will return. Tammy Faye will return in. <laughs> Damn. I, I am here for the gayer version. Yeah. So, let's uh, let's watch that one. I also, yeah. It, this was muted. It felt muted. For something that is about people who are supposed to be larger than life. Yeah, I'd agree yeah, with that. I can feel that. Yeah. Which is too bad. I really wanted to I really wanted to be spectacular. Yeah, agree. All right. Well, speaking of underwater. I always things, want them to be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. We don't ever go into anything being like, I hope this is shit. <laughs> no. We watched the Emmys. How did how did everyone feel? Wow, what an underwhelming week. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, you know, it it had its little moments, but it's my I, I, I will say for the most part in a previous year plus some where we've been experiencing award shows with a lot of uh glitches and just yeah the technical <laughs> side of things being like what yeah i will say that it went off pretty effectively i think yeah it was extremely white it was very boring <laughs> yes in the way that i i was laughing at if you were a drama award you were the crown. You were you were every yeah. now and then a little a little talk of pose, and you were mayor of East Town yeah. and things like that. And and sometimes Handmaid's Tale. If you were a comedy, you were Ted Lasso, or yeah. you you know it's like everything was so the same movies or well shows One, and everything up for yeah. everything, but up mm-hmm. for everything even like yeah. How many mm-hmm. different actresses can we have in the same up against each other from SNL? Or up against each other from, you know, what what was it? They were all nominated for multiple awards. Which one I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they're all, well, it was Ted just Lasso so many had people. four nominees in supporting actor. Which yeah, is like, it was stuff yeah. like that where I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> is there nothing else? How do you even well, vote for that, though? You know what I mean? That's the problem. It becomes like a numbers game where I, you know, I kept being like, are they just going to split their own vote? But, you know, with something like Ted Lasso, I'm like, no, I don't know who it's going to go to. It's nice for the others to get nominated. But is there really nothing else on streaming slash television? that is deserving of and i do wonder like the specificity of certain categories makes it so of course only certain things can win Mm -hmm. right because it's like yeah if you're talking about variety show what What else else is is there what's gonna gonna beat (laughs) snl right Right. now like what name me something well Um, i was i'm biased but i was hoping black lady sketch show would win oh yes okay i have some cards in that game my one of my really good friends she my one of my really good friends won the emmy for editing yeah uh, she was supervising she editor on it. Yeah. And that's what something I was going to say was interesting is it's actually an article that I saw on Twitter that she was uh, talking about that alerted me to it. But I was reading about how the creative arts Emmys, which happened last week, that are mm-hmm. not televised in the same way. 
right. and to a wide audience actually awarded more people of color yeah. than this did. And it's interesting because it's it's not to say, oh, good for them. It's to say, like, you thought that these other shows and these other things were really worthy of awarding, but just kind of quietly. But yeah. when it's in the public eye, you just go white, 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 white. Well, because right. she is a woman of color who won. And her whole team were women of colors, and they were the first editing team to, of women of color to win. Yeah, it was a historic, his first editing team ever, first obviously nom, first win. It was it was very historic, and it's very sad that in 2021 that's historic, but yeah, right. I'm certainly happy that she was the one to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the specificity also of some of the categories, and it's... There's the Emmy Awards and then there's the All Other Category Awards. And it's like, come on. Like, that's, I mean, it just shows how much they well, value. And, and also, you know, who hosted it was Marley Matten. And so oh. she was actually signing it the whole time. And cool. the yeah. televised Emmys had a platform stage with stairs all around them. So, yeah, I was reading, they responded to that and they claim that there was a, you know, ramp somewhere. Sure, sure. I don't. I don't know. You know, it's no. it's. Uh, Look, if I have like, to go to the back through the kitchen, um, whatever. Yeah, that's that's not, separate right. is not equal, matter. right? So, right, right. absolutely. So they but stood on stage like they, and, and and praised inclusivity, and you know, forgot an entire. But it's and then on on that same stage, and they literally had someone from the Paralympics, a Paralympics medalist, come out and and uh, mm-hmm. per, yeah. and which, you know announce an award, which I thought was fantastic. But it's like a thing yes. where it's, it's like, wake up. I did think it was kind of funny that that was the most beautiful Paralympian. Like, she was drop-dead gorgeous. <laughs> I was like, uh, I mean, I'm sure, obviously, she is an athletic, you know, champion. But I was like, you picked the most conventionally, like, all right. Yes, they. I mean, they, you know, a beautiful yeah. or what they call pretty diseases are more often shown, right? Yes. Well, it was just they picked a white lady, you know, and Mm -hmm. it was just, it was, you know, blonde, gorgeous, like conventionally, I say this in quotes, you know, Western standards, gorgeous, et cetera. That was, I was like, okay, all right. But that doesn't, that's not to discredit her athletic achievements. It's not to say any of that, but it was just, it stood out to me. Or the fact that "Hmm." she was given the opportunity to do it. It's just a little, um, a tiny asterisk goes on it, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but looking at the specificity of some of the non-televised categories, it's costume design and supervision, and then it gets broken down to things like contemporary costumes, period costumes, fantasy sci-fi costumes, costumes for variety nonfiction or reality program. It's, it's actually, I think, really cool to me that they are allowing people to vote on what I would assume is their areas of expertise. You know, like makeup gets broken down into things like prosthetics and non-prosthetics. But at the same time, if those are the only people, uh, you know, diverse people who are winning in these non-televised, highly specific things, how, I don't know, there's just a complete lack of equity there. And and then to have all of the, except for the one writing award be, you know, white people was just, it, it just felt like all talk and no action. 100%. Yeah. And, it, and especially in a year where, I don't know if we're just more hyper aware of it because we were bored for a lot of the year, but there was so much stuff and it's yeah. it just for things to be so compacted like they were. And, and, you know, it, it always, it, this happens at the globes and stuff too, of course, but when you're always looking at where people are up for what awards and everything, and it's like where they choose to split their chances by putting multiple mm-hmm. actors up in one category or where they choose not to obviously hacks, for example, it's, it's her show. 
But yeah. mm-hmm. I would argue they were both very split as the main characters. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. It's not yeah. positive. Agreed. It was more, I don't know that she had more screen time than, you know, we focused on both them, but one's supporting and one's not because it's like, well, let's hope we get two Emmys out of this. Right. And so whenever you look at that kind of stuff, it's always just so. It's political. It's, it's just it's, where Get Out was nominated as a comedy musical. And it was right. Just, <laughs> they thought they'd have a better chance of winning there. And they were right. They probably would have had a better chance of winning there. But it's just, it's sad. Yeah, I was I was underwhelmed by the evening as a whole. And then I think the thing that pissed me off the most was when the um, the guy, Scott Frankfurt at Queen's Gambit, just kept ignoring the music. And I was like, you going to let this straight white man, like, talk over the music? When they tried to play off, they pl- tried to play off Debbie Allen, who was a scheduled award winner. She was not competing for something. She's winning this special award. And they're, like, trying to play her off. But they let this guy go on. And in the same article I was reading about, you know, they talked about the ramp. And they're like, well, we don't cut mics because they might be saving something emotional or interesting for the end. And it's like, no, you shouldn't have saved it. You had an allotted amount of time. Yeah, you should you be know. happy you won. Yeah. Like, get to it. Like, it's really rude to your peers. Mm-hmm. I was like, like of course the white it, dude got to do it. Of course, yeah. Well, and, like, and it, it kind I mean, of also there were so many presenters there. of color. And, well, yeah, because they didn't have any other. <laughs> and it was so, but it, but it was like, it, it felt so, let's have this other, you know, presenter who's non-white come up here and give another white person an award. It just was feeling very, it was not this dramatic, but it was feeling very like Obama having to hand the keys over to Trump at the White House. <laughs> it just was very kind of like, this is cruel, you yeah, know, a little and bit. Yeah. I liked Aquafina's little bit where she was like, they're calling me. And I thought, oh, oh my, oh, my show's nominated. And she's like, yeah. she's like, oh, just presenting. Well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I will, to go back to the playing off, I will say that one of my favorite Oscar moments was Julia Roberts when she won yelling at the little conductor. I thought that was cute. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I just find it so frustrating. But I don't know. if we did do that, and it was a common practice to just cut off their mics, they would learn, and they would practice, yeah. and they would have a mm-hmm. tight speech. Yeah. I don't need to hear about your mother's, uncle's, dog walkers, you know, whatever it is. or Do that in the after room. Send them a text message, you know? But don't don't cut your peers off from their time, is my thing. The Oscars last, this last year also did that, like, really aggressively, where, like, just nobody caught cut off. And there, I think there was, like, a four-minute speech or something along those lines. And I was just like, okay. But it was about somebody's passed away child. And I was like, okay, well, you guys, you can't, I guess you can't cut him off. I would want to know if, obviously, we agree that it was too many white people awards, but were there any wins in particular that you were like mad about? Or not mad, but just kind of like, That's oh, good, wow, yeah. really over this person? I feel like my, well, any everybody from there, I was just like, really? Really? <laughs> Mayor was just so underwhelming to me. I, yeah, I the Evan Peters one got me. I, I was okay yeah. with the ladies, but the Evan Peters one got me. Well, Catherine Hahn got robbed. Yeah, yeah. I love Kate Winslet, but I probably would have given it to almost anyone else in that category. I have to remind myself who was nominated for each one. I'm going to look right like, now. Actually, I have to look. Yeah, I think I think for me, Catherine Hahn got robbed because I feel like Julianne Nicholson's role in Mayor, even Gene Smart. I would have given Gene Smart in Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited Series movie over the other chick. Uh, Ewan McGregor for Halston. What what happened? Yeah, I don't know, man. Like that was it was a bad category. In yeah, I, was like, I remember feeling very underwhelmed by the category. It was Paul Bettany, who I think we all would have been happy about, but I will acknowledge is not necessarily Emmy Potter. Hugh Grant for The Undoing, our favorite. Yo. Ewan McGregor for Halston. 
Lin-Manuel Miranda for Hamilton and Leslie Odom Jr. for him. It was really weird for Hamilton. I feel like they were doing everything in their power not to give Hamilton an award. Well, but Hamilton then, was begging for every award. And I was like, how many different categories can this one thing be right. in? And then finally they got one. It was like, thank God. Because I don't right. know what they would have done. Because, well, because it was the one that like sort of the only one that sort of made sense for them. And it was like, OK, fine, yeah. like variety special pre-recorded. And this goes back to the specificity of certain categories where it's like, yeah, OK, fine. Of course, that will win. And I don't think that's been on. Te- it's been televised before, generally speaking, that category. I don't feel like that's normally one that makes it to air for the Emmys. Yeah, I don't know. But, I really wanted Giancarlo from The Mandalorian. I really wanted him to win. Yeah, I wanted, it was watching all the things about like, oh, record number of nominations for things like The Mandalorian and WandaVision, all this stuff, but knowing that it's all in the technical categories and that they don't treat it seriously in the acting major ones. It's like, come on. Yeah. Like, just because something's popular and not based in England (laughs) doesn't mean. Well, I was going to say, I think I'm very controversial here. I like the show totally fine, but I think that the amount of nominations for Ted Lasso is kind of insane. I was actually, I wanted to talk, I think I'm, I'm the biggest Ted Lasso fan of the three of us, probably, right? Probably. I I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I adore it. I agree that it was, it's a lot, but I think compared to everything else this year, it's also on par. Yeah. It's like, well, it's, I think it's better than everything else this year, which is not the good. Oh, I mean, on par with like how much, because like four things were nominated in every category. Yeah. So like, well, on par comedy. with the amount of yeah, so like yeah. on par with all the crown nominations probably or like right. but I thought that yeah I enjoyed Ted Lasso quite a bit but I also you know didn't need it to win in every single category or even be nominated in every single one. Eh, I mean I just don't know what else I would have put is part of the problem. Yeah, I'm, like I'm the unfamiliar. Fact that Emily I'm actually... in Paris. <laughs> I forget what the dates are because it's so you know that's why I like the Globes and the Oscars because it's. Generally speaking, it's calendar, the calendar years, year. Yeah. Sometimes they come out a little, you know. Yeah, lower, I want to say it's like May or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and I always forget because I'm like, well, gosh, what was I watching last summer? And like, right. first, you know, it's it's different. Well, that's than... the that's the other th- funny thing for me is this year Ted Lasso's first season. This is their nominations, and I do feel like this current season is even more sort of emotional. It's also very funny, but I, you know, it has gained momentum. So I'm like, oh, I expect next year this to just completely steamroll again. I cannot imagine what is going to beat it out. I am very tired of the crown winning. I like the crown plenty, but I don't need it to keep winning. Yeah. yeah I just wanted, I may destroy you to win a lot more. Yeah. I was glad she won something, but I I, I think it deserved more. And I think it's because it challenges the, uh, the voting audience that... Also, I'm going to say, it's going to be a very unpopular opinion, possibly. Like, it, RuPaul's Drag Race continues to go unchallenged and i i don't i don't understand as I a thing it's like yeah. i love drag race obviously yeah. i watch it all the time into it whatever i just don't know that that season was all that great it, no, was it not. wasn't it wasn't really good at all as much as i enjoy that show i don't think they're doing their best work to be getting right. this much recognition agreed yeah. the problem is and jackie you'd be a better well, either of you are better judge than me here, but I don't watch a ton of competition programming. I, of course, spent years working on the challenge, but other right. than that, I don't really watch any of it. So on the list, it's the only one that I had seen. <laughs> and, and at See, least it came with some representation. Was I was like, okay, cool. But I agree that it just, it's getting, it's awarding mediocrity at this point because the thing is just a total mediocre, just rehash of itself over and over and over. Right. It doesn't really, and ever, in my opinion, has I not been actually kind of think- years. 
Right. I think Nailed I'm, It should have gotten. I wanted Nailed I think It. To that win. show yep. is actually fantastic. Yep. Um, and very well done. Hilarious. I I agree. It's, it's uh, amazing races too, but it's won quite a few over the years. So I don't know that it really needs it. You know, same Top Chef. I don't know. It's just one of those things where much like like an SNL thing, you know, there's something that is perceived to be it, the be all end all. And then nothing else seems to like stand a chance at cracking into that that winner's circle. Yeah. Do you have favorite uh, favorite looks of the night? Nicole Byer as Grimace. And I only say that because she said it. So that was the joke she made. Yeah. <laughs> I love Nicole Byer. So into it. I loved uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm hmm. With that backless situation she was wearing. Was I thought Billy Porter looked really great, which obviously oh, he usually does. Yeah. But. You know, I it wasn't my favorite Billy Porter look. It was a lot more tame than I think Billy Porter. Well, not, I don't know if tame, but it was a lot more, kind of more basic, I guess. But I, I thought it I enjoyed great, it, though. It was a good time yeah. watching the. I uh, I really liked. I'm trying to remember. Well, I, I was like commenting on, I was just like, I, what is. I know she's got money out the buckets. Like, what is her secret? But Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> Oh, look, what right. is going on? She just, I was like looking at her and I was like, what year is this? I don't know. No, and I, and her, I you know, she, she looked, she looked dressed totally fine, but just, I was so fo- like, she just, I kept seeing her there in the front row and then she presented and I was just like, wow, just a statue. Like what's going on here? Yeah. And it's not like very obvious plastic surgery and things. You know what I mean? That's like, no, what is happening? Just, this I is witchcraft. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. How? You know who I thought looked amazing? Jennifer Coolidge. Oh yes, she and was her, like my favorite presenter. Her speech hysterical. was, or her her presenting was so funny, yes. hysterical. I, I yeah, she's she's obviously a gem that we've all been aware of for a very long time. But I feel like she's kind of having a little bit of a second wind Come with back. this white lotus stuff. Yes, I'm and then now, it. even though I don't know why anyone's actually excited for it, well, no shade if you are, but now that we when we know they're doing another legally blonde and everything, I think she'll have like a big moment because everyone's like, you know. We, we, yeah. I feel like it's it's some younger audience is kind of catching up. We all know her as Stifler's mom, and mm-hmm. <laughs> I have known that since we were younger. And so it's like she's hysterical, and we love her. But I feel she like got underrated for a while, more and I think yeah, she's... they're getting more hip to who she is, and it's wonderful. Right. She was yeah. underrated for a bit, and then I think they're catching up to her greatness. Just like she being like... smart in a lot of ways too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she was wonderful through our childhood. Everyone thought she was hilarious. Kind of dropped off. And then suddenly people love her again. And it's like, yeah, duh. Yeah. But yeah, Jennifer Coolidge looked the supreme of our covenant. And I just was, I was here for it. Carl Clemens Hopkins from Hacks in the non-binary flag look. Oh, yes. Amazing. Uh Yeah, I thought that That was was, great. That's that's the type of thing I would imagine Billy Porter wearing. And like, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just fine to be under. Billy Porter's Oscar dress was just. Yes. Yeah. Everything. And I think once you get to the pinnacle, it's hard after that. I, I was also glad Jason Sudeikis put on real clothing. Put on real clothes? I know. I was like, he, he knows he's going to win. But I'm so annoyed by that still. I know he was at yeah, home, but you're wearing a hoodie. Yeah, yeah. You can't just wear a hoodie. Yes. I liked what Seth, I liked and hated what Seth Rogen was wearing. And to me, that means he pulled it off. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he looked good, though. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like yeah. a very ideal, healthy, because I've seen, I feel like he's kind of gone back and forth with his weight journey and stuff where it's kind of sometimes I feel like he's lost more than maybe he needs to. And then sometimes he's mm-hmm. got it back. But I thought he looked healthy and mm-hmm. good. And I was Happy. like, oh, I said. Yeah. I, apparently his whole opening thing was completely unscripted and they were not happy about that. Oh. Because really? they were like, oh, we worked so hard to like make it, you know, safe and blah, blah, blah. It was like, <laughs> it's you, you had an indoor party, like just own up to it. Like it's. 
it's fine. Nobody, nobody was like, oh, well, actually, I was like, what is this horrible stain? <laughs> you know, what? who I did not understand what they were wearing was Emma Corrin from The, the Crown. She had like a, a yeah. swim cap on. I thought she was dressing Handmaid's Tale at first. And then I was like, wait, that's me. Just Diana <laughs> oh, from The God. Crown. Yeah. I was just like, what? The hell? Okay. It was definitely a choice. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I thought uh, Michaela Cole also was, looked, I loved her dress. I loved oh, her she color. looked great with the neon dress, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots of neon. Yeah. Nothing that wowed me in a way that I was like, wow, like that, besides Catherine Zeta looking the way she does, but just I, I was not, there was no look that I'm going to remember for months to come. <laughs> Nicole, By- Nicole Byers Grimace. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like Nicole Byers too, and I love her, but yeah. Well, I also, I I would imagine that there was a weird fine line of how much do we go all out for this party? Mm-hmm. You know, like how much do we celebrate and act like there's not a pandemic happening? Right. And how much do we, you know, you want to talk about like bonkers fashion, the the Met Gala stuff. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. Here? No one understood the assignment. No, which which is so which is America in a nutshell. I was like, so they maybe, seldom do though. Yeah. Remember the the year it was like camp, and it was just like two people showed up <laughs> camp, and everyone else just showed up in big things. Yes. Well, I oh god, no one ever it? understands. Whatever the it's year true, that was like true. China related, I was like, mm, this is just appropriation. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's no winning at the Met. No. no, but I will say also, I, mean, I, I enjoy it every I thought, year, uh, and mostly I saw red carpet photos. So otherwise, I don't think I saw them standing in the whole show for the most part, but. Issa Rae and Robin Thede, I thought they mm-hmm. both looked really beautiful, but Issa Rae was going like the, kind of the Rihanna thing. She was showing, she was wearing a dress that was, I don't know if it was all sparkly or what it was, but it was all like transparent for the most oh, part. And I thought, yeah, yeah. But I thought she pulled it off really well. The, the nude illusion. Yeah. I thought they both looked gorgeous though. Yeah, I don't know. I was, I was oh yeah, underwhelmed. Yeah. I was bored, to be honest. I was just every time. Yeah, I didn't really. I was have like, a lot how is there another an hour and a half or whatever it is? Yeah, <laughs> like, I definitely I skimmed, skimmed it. I'll be and... honest. Oh, that's fair. That's you, yeah, you that makes sense. Anything. I mean, I I was half paying attention to it, to it, but it just you know, and and as a host, well, I, I actually really loved okay, that it was but... it was on Paramount Plus, which was made me so happy, and then I was able to kind of skip around in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the funniest thing to me was because the host network basically, I think, gets a, an aggressive say in presenters, <laughs> you know, and I know they were trying to be like, oh, here's diverse people. But they were like from NCIS, like Hawaii and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what are these shows? Who is watching them? The answer, Middle America. Are Middle America watching the Emmys, though, is my question. <laughs> is this... <laughs> who are half of these people? They kept doing <laughs> bits involving people from Cedric shows. And I was like, what? who are any of these people? What is happening here? <laughs> I don't think I watch network shows anymore. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, like, I, I don't really either. I don't place any of them. And those quote unquote famous people from them, I don't know who they are. I don't know why we're seeing articles yeah. about them. I was talking to someone and I was like, you know what? I miss knowing who the famous people were. I, I don't know any YouTubers media, like the U- like the YouTuber who like disappeared. I had never heard of her before. I had never heard of. I mean, most of the people that get posted on a lot of things lately. I'm like, I don't know who you like. Half the people at the Met, I was like, who is that? Oh yeah, no clue, no clue. Yeah. But or I mean, why we... are you famous? Yeah. Is this just a byproduct of us getting older, though? <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. Like, I do miss a time when I knew who was famous. Yeah, I think it's us getting old, but it's also. Picture, not staying I mean, up I'm to just... date on all the technologies because we're old but mm-hmm. where they're getting famous <laughs> on new platforms and things like that where it's well, there's just... also just so many now right because yeah. back in the day even i would say even before our time right how are you exposed to people okay late night talk shows 
and there's only a few of them and it was like an event Mm -hmm. or some magazines magazines, you know but it was not 24 7 a constant barrage of you could be on 20 different platforms and this person's like this thing famous and this person's this thing famous and never the twain might meet you know yeah but i think we're also getting old (laughs) i mean my sister still knows most of it so i and she's only a year younger than me but she keeps up with the pop culture a lot. She's yeah, very she interested in like it. spends her time reading that mm-hmm. stuff, and I don't. So I'm always getting. She's always like, "How did you not know they were together?" Like, I don't know. I was like, "I don't know who either of them are." So how much <laughs> you know they're together? <laughs> yeah, we just we run in different worlds. Oh well. Well, someone that we do know, I will say that I don't think we talked about it all here, but Rita Wilson. Oh, <laughs> what the hell? How, this is a stolen from a tweet I saw, but how angry do we think Chet Hanks is that Rita Wilson got to rap on TV and he did not? (laughs) Probably pretty salty, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had to be vaccinated to be there. (laughs) I was confused, to say the least. Um, But but I was mostly just confused to say the least. Why? What is going, you know, it was whatever, but I thought thought when, when LL Cool J came out and was doing it. it was like okay cool this I, I guess this makes a tiny bit of sense yeah just because you know ll cool j has rapped before but yeah i don't know maybe rita has but it was just so weird like we're cutting to these different people and then it cuts to rita and then there are four of them are up there and it's like this is this concert and i'm like what is going right. on uh, yeah it was very much of one of these things is not like the others one of these yeah. things just isn't the same one of these things doesn't belong yeah and it but it was such just like what is going on this is so right. strange but I was glad that right after that, it just went into the first award. It wasn't like he did not waste any time being like, let me do a big monologue for you. This was yeah. a monologue. Yeah, I was like, okay. all right, well, that's good then. Yeah. Although I like a funny monologue. so I, would I enjoy a funny monologue. but I would have preferred cool. it, but I didn't want it after the They're run. usually not very funny, though. It's a rare. Well, no, I think it depends on who it is because yeah. sometimes it's biting and like when ricky gervais does when a ricky monologue, gervais, yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. funny it's uncomfortable but it's funny ricky gervais when tina and amy mm-hmm. I, I always tina and amy billy crystal really is just i billy find crystal. a lot of funny. billy crystal's oscars are some of my favorite oh, yeah billy crystal's amazing mm-hmm. i guess they cut a bunch of those really awkward pop culture moment bits mm-hmm. from him and i was just, you know like the those those to me could have gone i was like these are not funny yeah, at all it was just so Random and- I didn't even understand the one with the trophy and the foot game. And <laughs> I was like, what? Sure. what? I didn't. What happened? Crazy. What happened here? Yeah. Anyway. Well, all right. Well, know. the Emmys happened. Probably we a TikTok. Had- yeah. I mean, this is a, this is, has been a week of mediocrity, but yeah. at the same time, <laughs> I will say with exception of the Emmys, me kind of getting distracted during it. Cause I was just like uninterested. I will say nothing was, Oh, I hated this so much. Like I was for the most part entertained by everything we watched. Yeah, so, well, that's because you didn't have to watch Cry Macho. You're right. I didn't, and I will. We didn't. I always stand by that. that choice. I am excited was... and happy. I have made this choice. I almost summoned us to. Uh, uh, it was almost so bad that I was like, "We have to. We have to." Watch it. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm considering this, even though this is mediocre, I'm considering this week as a win. Yeah, that's me true. Too. Compared to compared to other weeks we've had, it's a it's a win. And also, again, I to me, just knowing someone who bought Lululemon leggings has has enlightened my life. <laughs> You've seen me in them. I know that's what I was like I've seen you and you have some very lovely leggings and I again to me I just I know this is a broken record but I don't understand why you don't just do it as like you know a traditional business I know that that takes out the the accessibility to sell it for everybody else but from the business founder and owner perspective which is why I almost believe that she did want to help fellow moms learn how to do it or 
my thing is I feel like there's a tax evasion thing or like a, a maybe a yeah brick and mortar costs. Well, and know. I think it's about I think it's also about competition, right? Because you don't just get into a department store and let I me mean, let I guess they had money before That's the true. husband did, but you don't just get into a department store just because it's like you know, and obviously the product's good, so I think it could have gotten into places, but this was a way where they didn't even have to try to get it into anyone's hands. It just was suddenly, it became a thing. It was thing. just easier to do wildfire, like wildfire. And then it took off, you know. And right. then it took off and then it was blazing and they didn't know what to do. And they just kept going, running towards the blaze instead of trying to figure out how to control it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I get the sense there's also a lot of ego involved in the. Yeah. I wouldn't be I shocked if it was more. Machia- it, yeah, it's definitely like there's definitely a Machiavellian like factor to it, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that it maybe didn't start that way, and then it got there, and then maybe they tried to not, and you know. Yeah, the truth in the middle. That's true. There's three sides to everything. <laughs> One side, the other side, and the truth. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, as per usual, to Jackie and Matt. And now a couple of follow-up points. So the book I referred to that I'm reading is called Invisible Women, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. And it is by Caroline Criado Perez. The principle that Jackie, I believe, was referring to is called the scarcity principle, which is the idea that the more rare or difficult something is to acquire, the more valuable it becomes. And marketers often generate artificial scarcity. So look at the entirety of something like drop culture or limited releases of merchandise or we talk about, you know, in the case of toys, there's a a special variant or all those things. Those are all examples of the scarcity principle. And I think as humans, that that just plays into our psychology and we're like, I can't have that, I want it. And then as for Eyes of Tammy Faye, Tammy Faye was actually on the second season of The Surreal Life. Her life is just very dramatic afterwards. She really went through some stuff after the events of the film wrap up. It's a shame that that wasn't covered because that actually probably would have been a much more interesting story. The Paralympian who was presenting at the Emmys was Jessica Long and she is a swimmer. She has 16 gold medals and 29 medals overall. So she's a very impressive athlete and we don't want to undermine that part of her being there. As for Emmy eligibility for this year, episodes needed to have aired between June 1st of 2020 and May 31st of 2021. So it is this sort of bizarre pocket of time which makes it hard to remember oh what was I watching in June of 2020 that has been it for this episode thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed it we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing